It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host, Austin Peterson, here with my co-host, the best in the business, Landon Mance, coming to us live from what I like to call the the Mance family, Mance, in Dana Point, California. And we are excited to have Alan Draper on the show with us today with alandraper.com. Alan, thanks, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm excited. Yeah, we're excited to uh, to hear a little bit about uh, what you've got going. You've got a long history, obviously, from a business standpoint, and so you know, let's start by telling us a little bit about you know how you grew up, what uh, what your background's like, and then your first entrepreneurial journey to where we are today. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in a small farming community on the Oregon Idaho border. It's like 40 miles just directly west of Boise. I tell people that I grew up in Oregon, and they're like, "Oh, wow, it's." beautiful. It rains a lot. It's green. And none of those things are true. It's just, it's like (laughs) Idaho. I think being an entrepreneur is kind of in my blood. You know, I I always tell people that that's, you know, professionally speaking, that's one of the reasons why I was put on this planet was to create businesses and create jobs. My first entrepreneurial endeavor probably happened when I was a little kid. You know, at some point I had a newspaper route. I, I sold candy bars door to door mostly to raise money for, you know, baseball and, you know, sports leagues and stuff. But as an adult, I started investing in real estate in 2007, which about the worst time possible. And then I went to law school and practiced law for a while, kind of put the the business side of myself on hold for just a few years and then uh, opened a pest control company in Detroit, Michigan. And we started working on 2014, opened our doors in 2015. That was kind of the the start of uh, my current path. Gotcha. And that's uh, Proof Pest Control, is that correct? That's correct, yep. So tell us a little bit about the history of Proof. I mean, obviously, 2014, you start with concept. Excuse me, 2014, you start with concept. 2015, you launch. Where are you today? I mean, Detroit, Michigan. You didn't give us any background on Detroit. So how did it start in Detroit? And then kind of, you know, what's the journey been like since? Yeah, so we were, uh, we spent six to eight months looking for a market that was kind of a, agreeable to us that, you know, we thought matched our our company trajectory and our, our vision for the company. I was working at the time, still working with my, my brothers, my business partner, Brent. And he's the one that actually chose it. It was between... You know, Detroit, Buffalo, you know, there were a couple of of those kind of, you know, colder weather climates. And that that was part of it. But uh, I was practicing law here in Phoenix at the time and uh, went home and told my wife, hey, uh, we're packing up and I'm quitting my law job and my secure, stable law job. You know, what what I went to law school for three years for and painstakingly studied for the bar exam for and given all that up and we're going to start a pest control company in Detroit. And she's like, okay, let's do it. 
<laughs> well, you know, I, I think if your wife were here, she might tell the story a little bit differently because my wife would tell the story a little bit differently because we had kind of that same experience where I went out on my own for the first time with financial planning and she just thought it was the craziest thing. You know, her dad had worked for the same company his whole life, retired with a pension. I mean, her dad has now been retired with a pension longer than he worked for the company, you know, originally. And so he, you know, he's in his, his uh, early nineties now and has lived a great life, but you know, that, that's what she grew up with, right? Stability, pension, normal paycheck. And all of a sudden she's married to a, to a husband that wants to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And that's, it's a different world, right? My mom, for example, she doesn't really have these large business aspirations. She's more of a, uh, nine to five type of person. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, I think it's a different type of personality. It's not one's better than the other. It's just, they're different. Yep. But I can't imagine being in a nine to five. I can't, I can't imagine. And I employ quite a few individuals that do exactly that. And we try to create an atmosphere where they can continue to progress, learn new things. The day-to-day doesn't get monotonous for them, but um, that's, that's just not who I am. But I think you're right. I think my wife would definitely tell it a little differently. But when we were dating, she always said, I don't know whether this is true or not, but she always said that one of the things that she liked about me was this kind of ambitious spirit, this kind of curiosity to go, you know, figure out what I'm capable of doing. And so anyway, she's, she's uh, at least held true to that, you know, so. Yeah, I would definitely say, and I, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who own businesses, clients, of course, that own businesses. And I, I would say that it takes a special breed to also be a spouse of a business. I owner. think it might be the harder of the jobs, right? It could, it I, could I always be. feel more comfortable when I'm driving somewhere than when I'm in the passenger seat going the same direction, right? It, and it's not that I don't trust the other driver. It's just, that's kind of my comfort zone. So I can only imagine with being, being the proverbial passenger in that scenario, I think it would, that would be tough. You know, I I think sometimes it's easier. It comes more naturally for me to have faith in myself than it does to have faith in others sometimes as bad as that sounds. Well, I can tell you that that's definitely the truth for me. So what, what do you, what's it like for you, Landon? You're, you're an entrepreneur. What's uh, Tia's take on things? Yeah, I actually love that analogy that, that Alan just referenced because that's exactly that's exactly how I am. I mean, figuratively and literally, you know, I was in a really bad car accident uh, in high school and my, my best friend actually passed away in the accident. And I think that that, that has uh, given me this, um, I don't know, uncertainty around driving with other people. So I literally feel so much more comfortable when I am driving, uh, you know, my car as opposed to driving with other people. You know, I I get a lot of flack from my wife and other people. They actually, one of my nicknames is Gramps Mance. And that does have to do with my, uh, with my, uh, my style of driving. I just tend to drive pretty, uh, pretty chill, especially now that we've got, you know, 15 month old twins, but, but yeah, and it's the same for me on the business side too. You know, um, I've been, uh, you know, a solo guy for all these years. Um, and, uh, now that, uh, you know, I finally have met somebody Austin that, uh, that I can feel comfortable sitting in that passenger seat. So, 
you know, that's definitely uh, a, a blessing because, you know, finding somebody like that is it's uh, it's not not easy. I don't know if you've had business partners. Well, you've got your brother as a partner and that can certainly present some some challenges. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I love that analogy that really strikes a chord with me. I've never heard someone say it like that, but I, I would say that I agree with that 100 percent. And that's exactly how I am as well. Yeah. And I think that learning to at least for for part of my journey, right? I, I look at it as we're all we're all on a little different path. And and for me, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to learn the things that that I need to learn. I'm trying to overcome my struggles. I'm trying to develop personally throughout this process of building businesses. But that's been a struggle to let somebody else take the will. Um, but I have currently you know, nine different business partners in different industries. And when you, when you get to that point where you're like, Hey, I, I trust you, right? There's a reason why I, I chose you to be my business partner. That's when you can have a really good relationship with somebody as opposed to, Hey, you know, I, I hired you to take orders because you have a specific skill because then you have somebody that's kind of uh, pulling the rings with you. You know, you you have somebody that is bought in that feels like a partner. And I've had partnerships where on both sides, I've had partners that have treated treated me like, you know, an order taker and vice versa. And it's a great skill to have, which I'm still in the process of developing. And that is developing these relationships with with your partners and using that, you know, that kind of mentality of, hey, I'm win, lose, or draw, this is your thing. This is, I, I, I trust you, right? We're going to make some mistakes. It's not always just an upward trend. There's some dips and valleys in there. Um, and we're in this together. I think that just, that that's a very um, big part of who I'm trying to, who I'm trying to become. And if we, if we do it the right way, and I've, I've had failures, I've had businesses that have failed and I have partners that I'm no longer partners with. Um, but if, if we do it the right way, then the partnership gets better over time, which is, it's an interesting concept because most partnerships, I, I would, I don't know the numbers, but my guess is most partnerships get worse over time in terms of, especially in terms of relationships. And I think it's the same with marriages, right? They're on, there's only two directions they're going, right? They're going to get better over time or they're going to get worse. And a partnership is so much like a marriage. Right. But when you let go of some of that control and you say, Hey, I trust you. If everything doesn't go as planned, that's okay. I think you can really start to to build something great, which which you know I've I've been able to do. And I've been able to accomplish things both in my marriage and with my business partners that there is no chance I could have accomplished on my own. That's a good segue. Um into what I wanted to talk about next. But Austin, did, did you want to make a comment real quick before we move on? No, it was probably just uh, a joke. I was going to say that, uh, you know, there's always one good looking partner, one smart partner. <laughs> there's, you know, it's the same in a marriage, that sort of a, of a joke. It's true. I mean, it's true though. Like those comp and those compliments add to the marriage and the partnership, right? They do. They really do. Yeah. So, so Alan, um, maybe, maybe in some of your early business ventures, it was a little bit more 
shooting from the hip as you were a, a new entrepreneur and learning the ropes. But due to the fact that now you are engaged in uh, at least nine different uh, business ventures uh, and, and getting to know you over time, uh, you are certainly a very strategic, uh, thoughtful guy in how you approach things. So talk to us a little bit about um, how important is it to create a vision and to set goals around uh, around a business venture. And again, you know, you've got nine different business ventures that you're involved in now. So the only way that that could probably work is that you are very strategic and thoughtful in how you approach these and you've got a game plan for everything that you get involved with. So talk to us a little bit about how that all kind of plays out. Yeah. I mean, I love talking about creating a vision for your company. A lot of people make the mistake of saying that they're going to wait a few years till they kind of figure some things out. And, and I get that, right? You've got to keep the lights on. And early on, it's a question of whether you can do that. But kind of establishing a vision, I had the luxury of working, you know, on our company for six months before we started our first, you know, revenue producing business. And we focused a lot on, hey, what does the future hold? Now, if I rewind to 2014, what we've got today um, is a lot different than we had planned. And that's okay, right? When we create these visions and these goals, because what happens is you you don't have the experience yet, right? So you set these goals and that's okay. Like you want to shoot, you want to shoot for the stars and you want to make sure your goals are big enough. I think most people just across business, you know, uh, physical health, relationships, money goals, they they don't shoot high enough. I think that's that's one of our our biggest issues is that we don't realize the the potential and even divine potential that we have within us. But establishing some type of vision is it's so important because it allows you to dream a little bit, right? And and we need that as entrepreneurs. We have to say, hey, there's better, better days are coming, right? You enjoy the grind, but better days are coming because early on, man, I wanted to quit every day, 10 times a day. And when you create a vision, there's a couple of things that it does for you. It keeps you on track. It allows you to dream a little bit, allows you to stay positive. It also allows you to recruit or retain or hire individuals who are like-minded. When you say, hey, this is Proof Gives Back is, is really important to our proof set of companies. And it's our volunteer organization. And if people aren't on board when we are talking about Proof Gives Back before we even hire them, you know, it's not a good fit. But one of the most important aspects of having a vision is, is actually going through the mental process, the mental exercise of imagining yourself obtaining or fulfilling that vision right? There's so much power in that. There's so much power and I do it every single morning and I do it with, you know, different aspects of my life, my spiritual life, my family life, money, business, uh, my social life, my health. And what I do is I take the goals that I've written on my vision board and I sit there for five, 10, 15, sometimes 30 minutes. And I visualize what I, what it feels like to obtain those goals or fulfill that vision, whatever it is. And, and I, take it as far as I possibly can. I, I try to think of what, you know, the weather looks like outside. I try to 
imagine how it feels to have accomplished that. I imagine who, who I'm surrounded with and what my conversations are like. And so it becomes very palpable, right? I spend so much time doing that because the world forces negativity on us. And the reason why is because, you know, our, our old brain, we love that. Oh, there was a car accident. What happened? Right. Oh, you know, what, what can I do? So I'm not in that, you know, car accident like that, or somebody died or whatever. And it's a defense mechanism. But the problem is, is that even though that part of our brain hasn't really developed over the last 2000, 3000 years, our environment has saber tooth tigers don't, you know, they're not outside waiting for us anymore. So when you create a vision and you're thinking about it, you're imagining fulfilling that and reaching your goals, you get to, at least for that period of your day, you get to be super positive and you can, you can imagine all these positive and these great things happening. And so, I mean, that is such a huge part of my life. Me just dreaming a little bit. Right. And, and then putting in the work, but if you're a if you're a business that's trying to grow or trying to develop in, in any way, you're an individual who's trying to personally develop whatever you're trying to grow, study whatever, you have to have a vision. I like the word vision better than I like goals, um, and I'm not talking about a vision like you know heavily messengers. I'm talking about like the reason I like the word vision is because it it, it, it there's this inherent aspect of you know what am I seeing right. Yeah, it, you can visualize it, right? Exactly. So I, I see what you're saying there, and I, I agree with you 100%. I think that, you know, it, it makes me think of a conversation I actually had with my wife last night. So not to get into, to, you know, what I do, but um, I bought a business. It's a transformation business that I, that's got to be completely transformed. I bought it a few months ago, and it's like remodeling a house. You got to tear it down first yep. and, and rebuild it. And yep. it is way harder than building a business, I believe. And I've done this a couple of times and, and it, it can be so stressful. And, and last night I'm cooking dinner and my wife is just looking at me saying, your stress levels are off the charts. Is this worth it? Should you be doing this? You know, and, and I just, you know, my mindset is, okay, I did think it was going to be easier than it was, right? The, the business was in worse shape than I assumed it was and, and had obviously done my research as well. But I still see yeah. that vision and yeah. I still, and Landon and I've even had this conversation. This is a business that Landon's not involved in with me, but um, we've had this conversation to where I, I know where this business is going to be in four to six months. Yeah. And it really, really sucks today. Right. But I know where it can be in four to six months. And I even asked Landon about getting involved. He said, when it's fixed, then I'll, yeah. then I'll invest. <laughs> and I said, it's way more Too expensive late, then, buddy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, that's funny. And it made me think of something that I would much rather be positive and optimistic and be wrong than be negative and pessimistic and be right. Yeah. I'm, I'm very intrigued about this business, though. It's weird how like, I just love talking about businesses, especially ones that have issues that there's opportunities. I heard this story once where there was this uh, this this uh, real estate investor. He took his young son. He's like six years old. Took him to one of the houses, and it was a disaster. Right, foreclosure, uh, pet issues all over on the inside. It smelled terrible. Cat urine, just beyond belief. And um, the father and son walk in, and the father says, "Hey." Son, do you smell that? And he and he's like, Yeah, dad, that's opportunity. <laughs> right. 
right? That's the difference between an optimist and a pessimist, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's funny. So, all right. So, yeah, we can have a conversation about that. I'd love to talk to you about it and, and we can have a conversation, but uh, let's do that offline. So let's let's talk about something that I know you're super passionate about, and that's mentorship, right? And the importance of mentorship and community for business owners. And I think maybe we've even had a conversation about this. I'm part of a Vistage Worldwide group and it and having that community around me and really having you know, what I would term my board of advisors Mm -hmm. is super valuable to me. I also have a business mentor specific to our industry. And then the chair of my Vistage group acts as a business coach. And so all of that kind of stuff is super important to me to help me build my businesses. But talk to me about or talk to us about what it is that you do from a mentorship standpoint and why you're so passionate about mentorship and community. Yeah. I mean, you, you really become the people that you spend the most time with. And everybody has an example of, you know, words they pick up or, you know, things they do, started going to the gym or, you know, started smoking or whatever, good and bad, um, because of the people that they hung out with, you know, be, being around, y- your, your goal is to be around people that you want to be like. And then you're, and then for me, one of my goals is to be the type of person that successful people want to be around, Right. I've had great mentors over the years. Uh, I spent a couple of years in South America on a volunteer uh, mission. And the leader of that group has been one of my mentors for almost 20 years now. Um, And I don't think he knows the extent to which he has mentored me because it's not this direct like, hey, you need to do ABC to be successful. It's like, hey, I'm just going to live my life. You can watch me. You can learn from me just by, you know, what I do. So I've started within the last year or so trying to really help young entrepreneurs and people trying to scale their businesses. You know, for me, I'm, I'm super passionate about, I love hearing about different businesses, um, different industries. It doesn't matter um, because I love the passion. Um, I've been able to live it a little bit, but having a mentor and surrounding yourself with people that either possess what you want to possess or are the types of people you want to become. Um, you can't, there's nothing you can do to replace that. It's the, it's going to be the fastest way to, um, to improve in whatever area of your life you're looking to improve upon. Um, I told my nephew the other day, cause he's hanging out with some, you know, some kids that aren't, aren't the greatest. And I'm like, Hey, listen, <clears throat> I'm like, if, if you want to be a smoker, if you want to do drugs, if you want to drink, if you you know want to drop out of school, those are the people that you hang around with. And the issue is sometimes kids don't realize that they're making those decisions right now. Sometimes adults don't. They're like, nah, he's my high school buddy, right? Um, and so what the goal is, is to find a mentor. And mentor sometimes to me sounds kind of like this formal relationship, which there, it can definitely be like that. But there's so much more to that. Some of my greatest mentors um, have been authors of books that I've read. I've never met them in my life. And I get to know them and I get to learn about the things they do from, from the books that they've written. But I think the key is finding somebody that knows a little bit more than you do about something that's successful because of, of their habits and behaviors, not because of some type of windfall. Um, and then just this concept of surrounding yourself with really good people. 
Yeah, I could I couldn't agree more. And I got to take a quick second to give a shout out to my mom. It's her birthday today. And uh, the reason I say that is you you brought this up with your nephew's friends. You know, my mom always said when I was growing up and she's continued to say it to whoever will listen, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. 100%. Right. And I and who you surround yourself with is such key, whether it's personal life, you know, business life, whatever it is, I, I just think it's humongous. And it also makes me think of a meeting that Landon and I went to a few months ago where this guy came in, who was a guest speaker, and he came in and, and he had been on Ronald Reagan's post-presidential staff. So when he left the White House, he was on his staff and and he talked about, you know, the mentor that Ronald Reagan was to him. And obviously Ronald Reagan, regardless of what your politics are, one of the greatest leaders of all time. He's a great human being. Yeah. But one of the best things that he did and that he's figured he figured out how to do that many of us need to be better at figuring out how to do is surrounding ourselves with people that are better than us at things that are smarter and that understand things better than we yep. do and not letting that affect our ego yep. and feel like we have to be the one in charge. I, and that's uh, hit the nail on the head. And that's something that I struggle with. There are people out there that um, are constantly looking for peer groups that, that are better than them in a certain way. And there are some people that are looking for peer groups of people that, that, that are not to their level in whatever area of life. And it's something I struggle with, right? Because it's like, man, that, that person, that's impressive. Uh, and it, it, this thought occurred to me this week, actually, with the uh, investment that I'm doing. With this type of investment, I'm in a different league now, okay? I'm not the big fish. I'm usually not anyway, but clearly not. One of the smallest in this, in, in this particular area. Uh, but that, uh, that's brilliant. Yeah. That is brilliant. And, and we shy away from that sometimes because it makes us, makes me uncomfortable, right? It's like, man, do I belong here? A little bit of the imposter syndrome, right? Like may, maybe I'm not good enough to be in this group. Yeah. I, and we, we've actually talked about that in, in Vistage as well. There was actually a meeting that I was in where I was put on the spot and we had a guest speaker that came in that um, he basically works with high powered executives and he's a psychiatrist or psychologist. I apologize, Andy Maurer, which I forget which one you are. But um, one of the things that I was put on the spot to admit to to the group in front of the group was that I suffer from imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I grew up extremely poor and I feel like I'm an imposter every single day because I've got a master's degree and I've got a successful business. And, you know, there are certain successes that I have in my life that, that my parents didn't have. My parents are some of the greatest people in the world and taught me so many important lessons, but they did not have that type of success. And so I feel like an imposter every single day. Yeah. It's weird because um, when you start to uh, obtain some level of success, it, it, you can even feel bad, like talking about your parents. Right. But, um, you look back and it's like, they were great human beings, regardless of whatever they obtained, you know, financially or professionally, or even in terms of education does not change. And actually they may be better than you, or my parents may be better than me because look what they helped somebody else do. And isn't that like, isn't that a better barometer of how successful somebody is? Is, oh, yeah. okay, cool. They did it themselves. Cool. 
what have what have they helped other people do right so absolutely hey alan let me ask you if for the people the entrepreneurs that are that are listening you know if they don't have somebody like that in their in their life at the moment how would you suggest because they they probably have somebody in mind that they would like to have this kind of relationship with but maybe they don't have someone at the moment how do you suggest that they approach that person and say you know in in not so many words that they they would like to have this kind of relationship with someone how how do you approach somebody and start that kind of relationship with someone if you don't have it at the moment so i think there's two types of kind of more formal mentorships there's going to be the type that you the individual approaching somebody and saying hey i i need to spend more time with you i need to have access to you to learn from you um they're going to have to provide some type of value okay just being super generic um then there's going to be the type of people that are just going to do it out of sheer goodwill they're not going to do it for everybody so maybe this individual maybe it's a uh, an uncle or somebody through a church or volunteer organization or something like that. So there's two separate scenarios, right? You, with my example of of my mentor for the past 20 years um, from the time I spent in South America, I've never really seen that I've provided value to him. I didn't need to. That relationship was there. But if there's not a relationship, then the idea is, hey, wh- what can I do? Because if it's somebody that's worth being a mentor, time is the most valuable thing they have. And so you're going to have to find a way. Uh, one of my buddies gave this great example years ago, very successful individual. He's done great things professionally over the last 20 years. But he told me he was trying to get access to a potential mentor, found out that this, this guy's son was playing Little League football or something. He hired a professional photographer to go take just amazing photos of this guy's son and anyway, packaged it up for him and sent it to him. Just said, hey, I know you're busy. I know you probably are watching the game. Didn't have time to take these photos. Just thought I'd send this to you. And that's something that you know shows a lot of thought but added value, right? Um, he learned about the mentor. He learned, hey, he's, he has a son that's in football. And so that's another aspect. In order to provide value... Um, you have to learn about them. And a lot of people have said, hey, Alan, I'll, you know, I'll work for free or I'll do this or that. It's like, yeah, but who's going to train you, right? You're not going to hit the ground being valuable to me. That's not good enough. And so, so I would recommend if they have somebody picked out, I guess the relationship kind of category would be the easier, e- easiest one to gain entry into. But then um, if not, um, f- find some way to add immediate value to that potential mentor. And if it doesn't work out, get on YouTube and stop watching music videos or cat videos or whatever and start learning from Tony Robbins or John Maxwell. That stuff's free. Those guys can be your mentors. Start reading books. People don't want to hear that. People want to hear, oh yeah, I need a mentor and he's going to change my life. It's like, man, those guys are tough to find. They're tough to gain access to. Look elsewhere. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you, you have to be, it has to be reasonable. Right. But, um, that's what I would recommend. If you can find a way to, to gain access to them through adding value 
and and recognize that their most valuable asset isn't uh, money, it's time, which that's exactly what you're asking for from them. And a lot of people get offended by that. They're like, yeah, well, this guy doesn't want to mentor me and he's a bad person. No, 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 no. Because it's, it's, it's spend time with you or spend time with his kids. So that's a tough pitch, but that's kind of the challenge. Yeah. I, I love that idea. You, you said this earlier about, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that you actually even know. It can be an author. It can be a thought leader. It can be uh, another professional in your network. You know, it can be someone that you just, you follow their, their journey closely and you learn and you, you grow from them. So uh, I've never thought about it kind of in that regard. So um, yeah, I appreciate you, you mentioning that, but uh, Alan, as we kind of come to a close here, we've only got another, I think, you know, five or so minutes of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we know that you help other business owners, you know, realize kind of uh, not not realize, but understand what their vision is and and help them to kind of put a pathway to kind of get to where they want to go. So can you talk to us for a couple of minutes about how do you help other entrepreneurs, you know, do what we all want to do, which is, you know, grow our businesses? I think step one is just helping them create this vision that we've talked about quite a bit today. Um, and, and help them through, understand what the sacrifices are that they're going to have to make to, to realize that, right? Because that's the, that's the first step. Somebody says, Hey, I want a $10 million business. Okay. That's fine. It's definitely achievable. I've done it. You can, you can do it, but this is what I had to give up. These are the things that I had to do. So I think that's step one. I'm a big rah, rah, like motivational guy too. I don't know if you can tell that, but I, so that's another thing that I add. And I text people. I'm mentoring um, about 10 individuals right now. And, and I can tell by how long it takes them to text me back, how their progress is coming with their business. You know, some don't text me back. So that's another thing I add is that if you ask for my help, I'm going to, I'm going to stay on you. And then once I don't get that text message back, then I'm moving on to the next person. But in addition to kind of those intangibles, you know, I'm a, I consider myself an expert with um, corporate finance. I, I'm, I'm really good at looking at financial documents and, and, and spotting issues, areas for improvement and, and the health of a company, um, which early on entrepreneurs need and they don't realize that. There's some that don't even keep books. It's ridiculous. And they don't realize that the cool thing about books is there's no emotion involved, right? It's just black and white. And so I help with that process. I help with, um, I'm great at operations, just, just, you know, really grinding and finding efficiencies in, in companies. And part of that's because I, you know, my first business was in the service industry and service businesses aren't that efficient. I'm not producing a software that can be replicated a million times in two seconds. And so that's, you know, that's another thing, the marketing side, um, really top to bottom. Um, most of it's through my resources, right? I tell people a lot of times that I'm a, a jack of all trades, a master of none. And I think that's a great thing for an entrepreneur to be because I don't get stuck 
down in the details because I'm a programmer and I get, you know, nerded out by what the code is, right? And so um just you know, I I help people with with all sorts of things and I think the the best the best place that I can add value is letting them know what they need help with. A lot of times they don't know. A lot of times people come to me and they're like, "Yeah, my company's not growing fast because I don't have enough money." And then I tell them, "That's not your issue." Right? It's something else. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know a lot of the times with uh, with entrepreneurs. So, yep. I'll tell you what, Alan. I think uh, our listeners will really enjoy listening to this, and we're excited that uh, that you were here today and and shared some uh, what Landon likes to call value bombs with our uh, with our like audience that. today. And uh, for those who are looking to find you, they find you at alandraper.com. Where else uh, should they be looking for you? Yeah, so I'm super active on my Instagram, Alan R. Draper. But through my website, you can schedule an appointment with me. You know, you can text me through Instagram. I'm pretty pretty easy guy to find. I have a podcast called The Business Growth Pod where I try to meet with um, people that can add value to entrepreneurs. And yeah, I'm a really easy guy to reach uh, reach out to. And, and I love hearing from people. I really do. Through my website, there's a calendar link where someone can schedule a consultation with me for 15 minutes where we just talk about your business. Most of those calls turn into 30 minutes, 45 minutes an hour. Um, but I don't really, I've never charged for my services. I don't like saying that publicly, but I've never charged for my services. I've never gotten to that point where, and I don't know that I ever will because that's not why I do it. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And I don't know if you picked up on that Landon, but he said that he invites people on his podcast that bring value. And the funny thing is you and I are being on that podcast tomorrow. Yeah. So no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> bring the value. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Well, Alan, um, again, man, really, really appreciate you carving out the time to chat with us. No doubt that uh, people will get a ton of value from this conversation. So Thank you for joining us. Thank you for making yourself so available to all the great uh, listeners and partners that we have. So um, yeah, we just really, really appreciate all you're doing for the business community and uh, very much look forward to having you back on here in six to 12 months and hearing out uh, what you're up to next. Yeah, love it. Thanks guys, appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.